Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Mark chapter 9, And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Very interesting that he says that there are some, Jesus said, there are some standing here at that point who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them. And notice that this is a a fairly regular thing that he will take Peter, James, and John uh, on certain expeditions that the other nine did not go on, this being one of them. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart from themselves. Now, Mount Tabor is the traditional mountain in Israel, up in the Jezreel Valley. That is the traditional place for the Mount of Transfiguration. But it seems like because it, it's going to say here, uh, and it says in some Gospels, it was an exceedingly high mountain. And so the only exceedingly high mountain in Israel is Mount Hermon way up in the north, or Mount Hermon, as many pronounce it. So it says here, he took them up on a, on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. He was transfigured, interesting, before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth could whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses. Isn't this interesting? Elijah and Moses? Watch this. And they were talking with Jesus. Well, what's happening? Well, it seems evident to me that Moses and Elijah are the two prophets that will come back in the tribulation period that's captured in the uh, book of Revelation. And here Jesus is transfigured. His clothes are white like you can't make them that white here on earth. In other words, Peter, James, and John are seeing the end times. They're seeing uh, into the future what we know 2,000 years or so at least, right? And they're seeing Jesus transfigured in his second coming glory. They're seeing Moses. They're seeing Elijah, the two witnesses of the tribulation period. And they're talking. And they're talking. Well, Jesus just said, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. These people are seeing into the future. This is a vision of what happens in the future. So notice this. They were uh, Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus. Verse 5, Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. You know, this is why Peter gets ridiculed a lot, because he tends to speak up. And he's not speaking up trying to be disrespectful, but he's trying to do the right thing. But he's just not on the same page. He's not spiritually in tune. He's not aware of what's happening. So he says, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles. Do you remember the tabernacle that they had in the wilderness with the children of Israel? So now he's saying, well, let's make three of them. You know, Moses is here and he had a tabernacle, but let's make one for you and one for Elijah too. He's trying to say something good, but of course, he's not on the right track here. Let us make three 
tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. So he's afraid, and his mouth starts talking, and sometimes that happens to us as well. Verse 7, and a cloud, listen to this, and a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. (laughs) Well, if I was going to interpret that, I would say, Peter, shut up and just listen to Jesus. You don't know what you're talking about, but let him talk to you. Let him explain this. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore but Jesus only with themselves. In other words, they didn't see Elijah or Moses anymore. Verse 9, now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things that they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So he didn't say keep it forever, but he just said, until I'm raised from the dead, do not talk about this. And then later, of course, John Mark would know to write this because of Peter telling him about this experience. Verse 10, so they kept it, they kept this word to themselves questioning what the rising of the dead meant. So he said, until I'm raised from the dead. And they're saying, okay. And then they're looking at each other. What does he mean until he's raised from the dead? See, they did not understand the whole plan. Verse 11, and they asked him saying, why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him greeted him. And he he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Verse 19. Jesus answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. When he says faithless generation, who's he talking about? Everybody, including his own disciples who couldn't cast the demon out. He's saying, you guys, you Jewish people ought to be able to take care of this. You have a covenant with God. And so when even the disciples couldn't cast this demon out, he said, oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Notice Jesus didn't say, well, but this is the way it is. You know, you pray, you ask God, but you have to leave it up to God as to whether or not he's going to do it. Absolutely not. Jesus never talked like that. Jesus taught as if the promises of God are promises. They're not just options for God. They're promises. And because he taught like that, because he spoke like that, because he believed like that, he saw the power of God released on a consistent basis. We need to believe and teach like Jesus did. So notice Jesus said, bring him to me. The disciples couldn't cure him. Well, bring him to me. 
He's not just going to stop and say, well, you know, we win some, we lose some. God heals some, he doesn't heal some. Uh-uh, Jesus did not talk like that. He said, bring him to me. Watch this. Then they brought him to him. And when he, when he saw him, when this boy who had this demon saw Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell down on the ground, wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. So the this demon throws this boy into a fire to try to burn him to death, throws him in the water to try to drown him. This is the, this is the work of the devil. This is not God's will for this young man. This is the work of Satan. Very clear. Watch this. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, oh, this is a powerful statement. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Notice Jesus didn't say, if you could provide the power. No, he's not asking him to provide the power. He's asking him to provide the faith. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. In other words, I'm doing everything I can to believe, but I still have some unbelief. Help my unbelief. Watch this, because he cried out to Jesus. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. I mean, just pointedly, he said this. And notice he didn't say, Father, I just pray right now, Lord, that you just, Lord, that you just, you see this boy suffering here, you just, and do some big, you know, narrative about the history of this boy. No, Jesus speaks right to the demon, calls it by name, you deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. In other words, you'll never come back to him. Then the spirit cried out, watch this, convulsed him greatly and came out of him. What's interesting is he cried out and then he starts convulsing this boy. Likely, we don't know for sure, but likely this happened when the disciples did it. And then they got afraid because it didn't look like what they were doing was working. But notice Jesus didn't say another word. He didn't say, I said, come out and start disbelieving what he had commanded. So this demon convulsed the boy greatly and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, he's dead. Can you imagine all these people? He's dead, he's dead, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, well, you would too, why could we not cast it out? Watch this. Listen. So he said to them, this kind cannot come out. This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Uh, Other gospels that record this, Jesus answered first and said, because of your unbelief. And then he went on to say, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Well, you mean to tell me if you don't eat food, demons will leave? Well, of course not. Eating food or not eating food has nothing to do with a demon. No, but by prayer and fasting, you build yourself up in strength. 
You build yourself up in faith so that when you run into these kinds, these demonstrative, uh, uh, demonic activities that really show you something, that they weigh on your faith. It weighs on your faith. You had to have built up in faith. And so Jesus said, this kind cannot come out or this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it, for he taught the disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. It's not the first time that he said this to them. But they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. Then he came to Capernaum. And this, by the way, he moved from Nazareth and Capernaum became his hometown. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. So they were embarrassed to tell him. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Oh, may we all catch this. May I catch this. If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. In other words, he's teaching them humility. He's teaching them the values of the kingdom of God, that you don't just esteem the grown-ups. You, just, you don't just esteem the wealthy, the, the rich, the famous, the ones who can do something for you. Uh-uh. No, in the kingdom of God, you esteem everybody. And even the children, they're precious to God, and we should treat them as such. Verse 38, now John answered him, saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. <laughs> Somebody's trying to use your name to cast out demons, and we told him to stop. This is John, right? Peter, James, and John. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. Let me tell you what that says. This person they're talking about is not one of the 12 disciples. And Jesus is saying, don't forbid him because if he works a, a miracle in my name, then he won't speak evil about me anytime soon. So listen to this. Jesus is asserting that people outside of his own disciples, whom he gave power and authority to do these things, that they can in his name do it. Why? Because they're Jews. Because they have a covenant with God, and his name in their mouths is powerful. Praise God. See, sometimes we overlook that, but Jesus is saying it's not just the 12 that can do this. Anybody can do this. So watch this. Verse 40. For he who is not against us is on our side. He who is not against us is on our side. Don't provoke people against us, right? Verse 41. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. In other words, Jesus is saying, whoever blesses you, my disciples, will not lose their reward. See, Jesus' servants, and that would include us, are precious to him. 
Verse 42. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where, and he quotes from the Old Testament, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Oh boy. He's going to repeat this a couple of different ways. Watch this. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life, talking about into eternity, into heaven. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. So I want to just close and sit on this little passage for a moment here. Jesus said, if your hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. If your foot is causing you to sin, cut it off. If your eye is causing you to sin, pluck it out. So he's saying, if your hand's doing something, you take whatever action is necessary. And he's not literally saying to cut your hand off because that won't solve the problem. But he's saying, make drastic changes in your life so that your hand can't do that. If your foot is taking you places that you shouldn't go, make drastic changes so that your feet can't take you to places that you shouldn't go. If your eye is looking at things that it shouldn't look at, make drastic changes so that your eye can't look at those. I remember, uh, boy, God taught me these things when I was a young man to take precautions, and I just continued to do those kinds of things. As time went on, decades went on, even when I wasn't struggling with things, I just continued to take precautions. For example, uh, after I was married, my wife and I got some kind of satellite TV or whatever, and they had parental controls. So you know what we did? We locked up all the ratings that were bad and channels that were bad and all that stuff. And uh, it had a four-digit password. And I had two digits and my wife had two digits. Neither one of us could do it. Now, we weren't in bondage. We weren't tempted. But we just wanted to remove ourselves far from that. Boy, I tell you, when my kids uh, got older and I told them when they were in their teens, if you'll memorize chapters in the book of Proverbs, I'll buy an iPhone. But I already knew how to lock up the iPhone from the internet and so on. And so, so anyway, to this day, people that I've taught this, they lock things up. They have other people have the password. They remove the temptation. Didn't Jesus say to pray to the Father, lead us not into temptation? In other words, Lord, lead us away from temptation. Jesus is telling us it is your responsibility to take the drastic member measures that are necessary to not sin. Don't just keep saying, well, I keep looking at pornography and, and I just keep doing it and I can't stop. Well, remove the opportunity. See, Jesus is saying it's better to go into eternity and have life, eternal life, with one eye. In other words, without having to take any drastic 
uh, having taken drastic measures that would really inhibit your life, remove some pleasure or even cause embarrassment. He said, it's better to go to heaven than to not take drastic measures and you keep living a life of sin and go to hell. Somebody said, I thought we were saved by grace. We are saved by grace. But when we're saved by grace, we're supposed to be saved. In other words, you're saved from sin. So now with the grace of God and with the free gift of righteousness, you should have, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, you should have what it takes to stop. And Jesus is giving us a great clue right here. Do whatever you have to do to stop the sin. Don't just let it go and keep sinning because you're choosing a life of sin if you do that. Stop it. Do whatever you have to do to stop it. Cut the internet off. Uh, lock your phone up. Uh, stay away from that place where that uh, person is that flirts with you or that you're attracted to or whatever. It could be any number of sins. You know what the sin is. Pray and say, God, deliver me. Show me what to do. And when God shows you, no matter how hard it is, no matter how drastic it is, you do it that you may go to heaven and that sin may not drag you to hell. Oh, thank God for Jesus teaching these things. Thank God for Jesus wanting us to win and wanting us to have eternal life with him because he loves us. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow. Chapter 10. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.